The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelvin Reed, here to take you on yet another journey into the habits, habitats, and brains of renowned writers. And this week, the award-winning literary suspense novelist and New York Times bestselling author of The Bookseller, Cynthia Swanson, took a break before her upcoming book tour to chat with me about her new thriller, the writer-slash-designer's process and unique relationship with creativity, and how she finds her ideas. The best-selling author started out as a freelance marketing and technical writer before her debut novel, The Bookseller, became an indie next pick and winner of the 2016 Willa Award for Historical Fiction. The book's been translated into over a dozen languages and was optioned for a film adaptation with Julia Roberts attached to star and produce. Cynthia's latest psychological thriller, The Glass Forest, has been described as a gripping literary suspense novel set in the 60s about a deeply troubled family and three women who will reveal its dark truths. The Library Journal said of the book, Swanson demonstrates her signature trait, a consistent, superbly executed sense of knife-edged disquiet, and Publishers Weekly called it an intoxicating slow burn that builds to a conclusion rife with shocking details. In this file, Cynthia and I discuss how she targeted the time periods for her historical novels, why you shouldn't research while you write, how a professional novelist migrated to Scrivener, why you need to intentionally goof around to beat procrastination, great quotes for defeating self-doubt, and why you need to find your own writer's community. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. All right. Welcome back to the writer files. We are rolling once again with an esteemed guest today. And I am privileged to have uh, award-winning author, New York Times bestselling author of the bookseller, Cynthia Swanson, is hopping on this show today 
to uh, wrap with us. Thanks so much for doing this today, Cynthia. You're welcome, Kelton. Thanks for having me. You've got some some good news uh, in the hopper and new book coming out probably the day that this publishes. I think that will be uh, out. But tell us a little bit, if you will, before we talk about the new one, about you, kind of your origins as a writer for listeners who might not be familiar with uh, your fantastic journey to <laughs> best-selling author, kind of uh, maybe the short version of how you got here. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I've been writing since I was a kid. I just, I always wrote, I, I wrote stories and novels and all that when I was little. And it was something that I'd always wanted to do. I did take a detour in college for a few years and majored in architecture because I thought I needed to do something practical um, and because I love design. But I kept sneaking off and taking uh, English electives, creative writing electives. And finally, I changed my major and became an English major and went back to writing, which has always been my first love. Yeah. So I was a freelance technical and marketing writer for a lot of years, but I always wrote fiction on the side. And um, as you mentioned, I have two novels out. My first one is The Bookseller, which debuted in 2015. And my second one is The Glass Forest, which comes out on February 6th. So you're gearing up to get out there on tour and and uh, meet your, your readers. And that must be pretty exciting. Are you uh, um, ready for this? new journey of course yeah it's always fun <laughs> to get out there and be around right around the readers and i'm really looking forward to being out there again it's uh, hopefully less nerve-wracking this time because it's because it's my second one so that helps a little well that's pretty cool so the new one the glass forest has been described as a gripping literary suspense novel set in the 60s about a deeply troubled family and three women who will reveal its dark truths. I got a chance to um, preview it and it just kind of sucks you in, much like the bookseller. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, you've gotten some really nice blurbs so far. Um, Looks like the Library Journal mentioned that uh, you demonstrate your signature trait, a consistent, superbly executed sense of knife edge disquiet, just bordering on anxiety. so they're lots of fun to read listeners. I, uh, of course, will include the links to find both of those fantastic titles. So tell us a little bit. I mean, I'm fascinated by not only the, the periods that you've chosen. You know, you won this historical fiction award. And, of course, it seems like your sense of these time periods and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, these times that you've chosen were very special specific and maybe maybe you can tell us a little bit about the reasons you chose the different time periods for the different novels. Sure. Actually, both of them are somewhat set in the same time period. Uh, the bookseller takes place in 1962-63, and the yeah. main action of The Glass Forest takes place in 1960, although there's some backstory that goes back to World War II. And it, it was deliberate. It was, with The Bookseller, it originally was set in the present day, but I realized really quickly that that just wouldn't work for the story for a number of reasons. And I needed to go back to an earlier time period. And that early 60s ended up just being a natural fit, partly because of the social issues going on and just because of the the way that the story played together. So I really and then once I'd done that, I really found that I was enjoying researching that time period. And especially that social change was a big part of it. And it's that theme has played into both of the books. Mm -hmm. So finding that I'm really liking exploring that. It's just a time of such upheaval in the U.S., all over the world, but really especially in the U.S., where people's lives were really changing 
and women's lives especially were changing. So I find that fascinating. And that I think that's one of the reasons I keep going back there. And then just the, the details are pure fun, the, the music and the clothes and the architecture. And, uh, <laughs> so that, you know, just adding that backdrop just makes it a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense that, that the details would be um, so well wrought based on kind of your background in architecture and design um, mm-hmm. as well. Obviously, you know, you, it doesn't mean you'll write great fiction like you do, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it does help, I think, lend uh, authority to the setting. So congratulations on that. Uh, on the writing itself. Um, so it looks like um, the best place to find you is at your current author website, CynthiaSwansonAuthor.com. And of course you are on Twitter. I will link to your Twitter, um, Facebook as well. Is there anywhere else you want to point listeners to kind of find you out there uh, or online? That's probably the best. I do tend to engage a lot with uh, um, with readers over Facebook. Yeah. And Especially, do you want to point out? I do have an author page, and so if people come and find my my personal page, and it doesn't do you any good because it's just pictures of my kids and my cat. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> not very interesting. But I do like to engage with with readers and talk about writing and talk about books on my author page. So that's always great. I am I'm on Instagram, and man, if anybody wants to follow me, that would be great. Because <laughs> I have to, I have to say that like my kids are better at it than I am. So you know, oh, we yeah. have a little competition who can who can. <laughs> Instagram and right now they're winning so yes yes <laughs> the same same uh links in swan author <laughs> cool cool um yeah so cynthia swanson author.com you can find links to the twitter facebook uh goodreads and instagram mm-hmm. um and of course uh there is um news about events and upcoming the upcoming book tour all that good stuff so um as you're getting ready to, to head out there and promote the book, do you have any other uh, projects in the hopper? Are you working on another novel? Are you working on any short stories? Yes, I am. I'm actually working on a third in-progress novel. It's also set in that same mid-century time period, and it's a story about a, a kind of a complex family during the early years of international adoption. It's it's been a lot of fun to research. I'm having a good time with it. Interesting, interesting. Well, I have to say I was having quite a bit of fun with the bookseller, uh, given that I live in the neighborhood where it's mm-hmm. set, um, and many of the references to, of course, the uh, geographical uh, uh, stuff is is pretty cool. So, lots of fun. Uh, so, uh, let's talk a little bit about your process, and um, as you are. Uh, getting into this third novel, maybe you can talk about your productivity specifically to start out kind of how much time per day you're doing research. Cause it seems like these are pretty research intensive, although, you know, you may have just kind of an innate knowledge of the <laughs> time period. It seems like that you're, that you are needing to probably at times crack some historical uh, stuff. Absolutely. Especially when you change somewhat the focus of the book, like with the new book being about this international adoption, that's that's a whole other part of history of that time that I'm researching or that I have been researching as I work on that third book. Yeah, what I do, my process, I, I intentionally do not research during the first draft and it's completely intentional. And the reason is because I love research and I, I love it almost too much. I, I And I feel like for me, getting a first draft hammered out, getting that on paper is sort of, that's the carrot on the stick. And if I can get that done, then I get to go do the research. Hmm. So I do a lot of guessing. I take a lot of notes. There's a lot of, you know, 
parts where I'll just have a little comment that says, I'm not sure this could really happen this way, but we'll look it up later. And, yeah. and that kind of keeps me going. And I get that first draft done, which for me, a first draft of a novel is maybe about 50,000 words. So it's pretty bare bones. Um, but it's just kind of got the basic story there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those notes. And then my, my finished novels have been about twice that length. I think the books are was 97,000 and I'm pretty sure the glass force is about 104,000. So there's a lot that gets added when I get into that research phase. And when I'm doing that, some of it is very specific. I'm looking for really very pinpoint small details and some of it is larger and and covers a complete theme or issue that I'm trying to cover um for example in the glass forest there's a character that in world war ii has ptsd and Mm -hmm. this is world war ii and so that was obviously not diagnosed so I had to do a lot of research on what that looked like because it would not be handled the way that it's handled now and that was so I you know I watched some documentaries I read some books and read a lot of accounts of um, soldiers who'd gone through that XGIs from World War II. And hmm. so that was sort of helpful in putting together that piece for that character and making it accurate. So I have to spend a lot of time doing those kinds of pieces. But on that first draft, I just guessed. I knew I wanted him to have PTSD, undiagnosed, obviously. And I just kind of went with my gut of what that might look like. And then some of the research reinforced that in some places I needed to make some changes. That's really cool. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime that's patreon.com slash the writer files help us start something cool and special keep calm and write on so when you're working on the first draft are you sitting down every day to yeah. get words <laughs> you set yourself a, then do you set yourself a um word count or do you have like a specific time of day when you like to sit down and get it done it's a little bit of both in a, in that first draft as i mentioned i, I it's usually ends up being about 50,000 words. So I break that down based on the goal of how long I've given myself to get that first draft 
finished. And usually that's, I don't know, maybe three, four months. So then I can break that down into, into a word count and make sure I'm hitting those word counts over that time period and break that down into weeks. I tend to do weeks more than days um, because some, some weeks there's just other stuff that gets in the way and I only write a couple hundred words on a day. But sure. you know, then there's other days that I'm flying and I get a lot done. So with that first draft, yeah, it's a word count kind of thing that's just broken down by the math of how much time I have. And then when I'm working on those subsequent drafts where it's much deeper and it's filling things in, it's much more of a time goal because mm-hmm. it can't really say how how many words I'm going to add or change or rearrange. It just depends on what I find out. Hmm. That's cool. So do you have a dedicated office or are you like some authors kind of floating around to different coffee shops or? <laughs> I do a little bit of both. I mostly work in my office at home. I do have a home office. And now that I have three kids that are in school, when I was working on the bookseller, I had little tiny kids. I had a um, three-year-old and two six-year-olds when I started that book. So it was a lot harder yeah. and I did not have an office. Um, and I did go to the coffee shop a lot. I'd go early in the morning before anybody was up. Hmm. So, but now that everybody's in school, it's a lot easier. And I do have an office in the home. So I do work here. But sometimes I will go out and go to the coffee shop, one of the local ones around here, and spend my time there. And um, we also have a ski condo up in Winter Park. And so if I can swing it, sometimes I'll go up there midweek for a few days. And it's incredibly productive to be up there in the middle of the week because there's nobody there. So that's it's nice. I get a lot done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems like music is um, has some prevalent themes in your in your writing. Um, I mean, specifically referring to the bookseller. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, do you listen to to uh, music from the period while you're writing it, or is that just kind of baked into maybe some of your uh, process uh, from the historical research? If, if you listen to my kids, they'd say that, you know, then we have to listen to that stuff in the car. <laughs> but um, I, I tend to, I don't listen to it when I'm writing too much, but I will listen yeah. to it before I start sometimes to just sort of put a song in my head from the time period and it'd be, cool. be helpful. Yeah. 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 So you're blasting Patsy Cline right. <laughs> in yeah. the uh, car and your kids are want to listen to, um, I don't know, Ariana trying. Grande. <laughs> yeah, Ariana Grande. <laughs> Yeah, and that's fine. I actually like that music too, but I, I, I don't torture too often with the with the moldy oldie music. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I should ask you: Do you have any other pregame rituals uh, before you crack your knuckles and, and get uh, typing? Do you do you do you like coffee? Do you yeah. <laughs> coffee for sure? Yeah, coffee's yeah. coffee's a big part of it. Yeah, mostly make sure that's there. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, all right, well, let's talk about writer's block. Have you? experienced it is it a thing do you believe in it what is it i do not believe in it i do believe in thinker's block i i think we can convince ourselves that we're incapable of just about anything or capable but you can you can talk yourself in or out of anything i really do believe that um one of my favorite quotes about writing is from jody bacall and this is hanging on the wall of my office it says you can always edit a bad page. You can't edit a blank page. And I think that's, <laughs> that's really true. I mean, you, you can sit there and say, oh, I can't write anything. And yeah. But you know what? You can. You can write something. It might be crap, but you can write it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might yeah. stink. But if it's sitting there and it's blank, you can't do anything with it. And and I think that happens to every writer, that there's times where it's it's just going to stink. And that's okay. That That doesn't mean you stop. It means you 
have something that you can work with going forward. I like that quote a lot. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about workflow a little bit. A um, couple of questions for you. Um, are you a Mac or a PC? PC. <laughs> and I've always been. I it just it, I I'm really hopeless on a Mac. Anytime I have to get on one, it's just because I've never really used one. I started out on a Mac yeah. long, or a PC rather long, long ago, and that's what I've always used. So that's what I still use. Yeah, yeah. So my guess is that you are a died in the wool word microsoft word user i use word for first drafts because i find that yeah it flows a lot easier i can just keep going and i just stick in a page break for a new chapter and type chapter three on it or whatever it is and keep yeah. going um but then once i do have that first draft i bring it into scrivener which i love i i scrivener is great for organizing and seeing the big picture and moving things around with the plot and so I do find that it's really, really helpful. But I also think it has a lot of bells and whistles that you don't need. And, and that's why I intentionally don't use it during a first draft because hmm. I would get too bogged down with how everything needs to look all pretty and line up and do this and that. And I really just want to get those words on the page in that first draft. So that's why Word works well for that. That's cool. Do you have any organizational hacks, uh, aside from Scrivener, which I know has built-in organizational tools. Do you have any other kind of organiza organizational hacks that you use to um, put all those jigsaw puzzle pieces together for that next draft, second, Honestly, third <laughs> draft? I'll, I'll confess I am not very organized. <laughs> Thank goodness for Scrivener, because it really does help me get, get those pieces down. But before that, it's just a lot of notes that I have in different places. I do have a corkboard in my office and that's, I'm pretty visual. So that helps. I'll, I'll print out pictures or maps or, or things that make sense to me and I can see it from my desk. And I, I do find it really, really helpful to look at that, but I don't know if that's as much organization as inspiration, yeah. but it is pretty helpful to kind of see those pieces out there. But honestly, sometimes I just have to like stop and take a couple hours and clean out my office and, and clean out stuff on my computer because <laughs> So if anybody has any tips for me, maybe they can get back to me. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can drop uh, organizational tips for <laughs> the yeah. author at uh, writerfiles.fm <laughs> for this episode in the comments. And uh, yeah, so are you a writer then who kind of leans into procrastination? I know it's a part of the process for so many writers um, that procrastination is kind of that incubation where you're you know, thinking about the problem or, or the next chapter, do you kind of lean into procrastination or do you have any hints for <laughs> beating it? You know, I just, I, I think the biggest thing is you have to disconnect. And so honestly, that's the hardest thing because if you, unless you're somebody who's lucky enough to write by hand and I'm not one of those people, um, I've had wrist injuries and it makes it so I can't sit there longhand. I kind of wish I could because then you're automatically disconnected. But mm. otherwise you just, you have to intentionally do it. And it's, I, for me, it's the only way. Uh, but I do find that I have to allow myself some short amounts of time goofing around online every day because I sort of equate it with the balance you need in, in having a healthful diet. I mean, if you, if you just go all the way to one side and all you're doing is disciplining and eating all your vegetables and, and never letting yourself have a piece of chocolate. <laughs> you're going to go crazy. But 
you know, and the, but you can't go the opposite way either and never eat the healthful stuff. You got to have let yourself have those small indulgences. And I kind of look at, to me, social media and being online is sort of one of those small indulgences. You let yourself have it because it's it, it kind of gets you back into what you need to do, but you got to discipline around it. And it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. Like that. So how does Cynthia Swanson, bestselling author, unplug <laughs> at the end of a, a long, hard day of writing? Um, well, you know, the, those those three kids are kind of an automatic unplug in a lot of ways. I mean, when they're done after I, I, I feel so fortunate that I don't have to do a nine to five job at the same time as I'm doing this. I know a lot of people who do. and Honestly, I have no idea how they get it done because yeah. I, I can get all my work done during the day. And when they're out of school, it. 3, 30, 4 o'clock, then it's, you know, I really do try to focus on them. And I'm, I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. And that helps me disconnect and, you know, do the running around that needs to be done with them and have dinner with my family and all that. But I, I will confess that the writing is sort of always still in my mind. I, I really do think about it still. Mm-hmm. And I, do, I, I don't go back and write in the evening. I very, very rarely write in the evening. But I will go back sometimes and take some notes. And I definitely spend evenings doing some of that marketing and connecting with readers pieces. I, it, so that has to keep happening all the time. And, and yeah. I don't know that I'm particularly good at completely unplugging from it. My husband will tell you that I'm not. I mean, anytime, <laughs> I'm, no matter what I'm reading, I'm reading some book and I'm like, that could have never happened. <laughs> and he says, <laughs> says, I don't read the way that I used to before I was doing this professionally. And mm. that I'm always... I'm whatever I'm reading, it's not just pure pleasure. I'm always reading it with a little bit more of a critical eye than I used to. And I think that's true. It's such a pleasure though, when I do find a book where I feel like the author really got it. Oh, that's just so great. Nice. Well, I'll plug you about, um, some of your faves, uh, moving forward, but let's talk, uh, just creativity for a second, because it seems like inherent to so much of what you do, obviously the, the writing, um, and the design and, and kind of the marriage, but um, how do you, how do you define creativity, kind of in your own estimation? I would say creativity is the ability to take an innovative idea and make something tangible from it. I think it's it's not enough to just have the idea, and and you you have to be able to take it one step past that and do something tangible with it. And it might not necessarily be where you originally started, but I. I a lot of people are idea people and that's really great. But I feel like for me, I need to be able to have something out of that comes out of that. Hmm. Hmm. When do you personally feel kind of the most creative? Well, I guess when I'm, when I'm really in the groove and I'm writing and I don't want to stop, which sometimes happens and I, you know, life gets in the way and I have to do something else. But <laughs> I, I really do love it when I just feel great and I just want to keep going and keep going. That's just such a good, good, good feeling. Um, I would say the other time that I kind of get creative is when I'm exercising because I use exercise time to puzzle out any problems I'm having in whatever I'm working on right now. That's where I kind of figure out the logistics of a, a lot of times I'll write and then I'll go work out for a little while. I'll either walk or I'll bike or go lift some weights or whatever. And I'm a very anti-social exerciser. I kind of get mad if somebody tries to talk to me because I'm <laughs> usually I'm totally in my head. I don't take classes. I don't have a workout partner. I'm just like when I'm doing my workouts, I just I'm in my head and I'm thinking about writing. And it actually ends up being part of my creative process to have had that time where you're like physically moving the body and letting the mind do the work at the same time. I love that. Yeah, that's cool. I think uh, Murakami was uh, 
kind of famous for what well, he's written he's written about running and his his uh kind of relationship with running and writing and mm-hmm. that kind of uh that same idea do you pr- currently have a uh creative muse that's spurring you on at all I, I'm not sure I ever have other than myself. I mean, I can't, it, I, maybe I do and I don't really have a definition of it, but I think it's mostly just that desire to keep doing it. I can't imagine not doing it. I don't know what else I would do if I wasn't doing this. So I don't know if that's news. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Um, what do you think makes a writer great? Empathy. I, I think the best writers it can see how someone else might view a situation besides themselves. It's, it's not just about the writer. It's about being able to see how someone else might view whatever is going on besides you. So I, I think about it when I'm as a reader, when I'm reading, I want to understand a character's motivations. I want, I don't want to just have whatever's happening, happening. And I don't, and if it's just happening and there's no reason for it, you can tell. Uh, but when the author has a really good grasp of what's going on with that character and what's in her head or his head and why they're doing what they're doing, then you can really tell that too. And I love that. So I think that that, that really helps make the writing great. Cool. And um, you mentioned uh, kind of having some some favorite authors earlier. Do you have uh, any current uh, current books kind of sitting on your nightstand or and ones that you want to mention that you're just loving or in love with sure um yeah my my genre kind of crosses between historical fiction and thriller or, or psychological thriller. even the books are they sometimes called psychological which mm-hmm. i think is true um so i in both of those two genres in historical i really like jillian Cantor. um she's great she writes a lot of world war ii type stories and um, another favorite one is uh, Linda Cohen Loingman, who wrote The Two Family House, which is another sort of historical mid-century story that I really enjoyed. Real family drama that I liked. Um, for literary thrillers, I like Kim McCrate. I think she's really great. I love Mary Kubica. She's really, really good. And Alan Eskins, I think, is brilliant. He's great. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I mean, you've even been compared to uh, Jillian Flynn more recently, but... um, it's cool. Uh, yeah, those uh, authors and, of course, the psychological piece you mentioned is pretty prevalent. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that psychological piece, but I'll, I'll put a hold on that one. Um, and you already shared a best love quote. Did you have any other quotes you wanted to, to mention? I know so many authors have quotes just kind of hanging around or seared into their brains, but that... Uh, Pakal quote that you mentioned was awesome. Did you have any others you want to? 
Yeah, that one is great that Jody called. Another one that I really like is um, from the incomparable Kent Haroff, which is he said, you have to believe in yourself despite the evidence. I think that's a great quote. <laughs> you really do. I mean, it just that that's a really good one for when you hit those moments of self-doubt. You have to believe uh-huh. in yourself despite the evidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, a couple fun ones. Are you a paper, ebook, or audiobook person? Paper, always paper. Unless I can't get a book on if it's not available on in book form, and I have to read it on the ebook, I will. But honestly, I spend enough time looking at the screen, so I really get pure pleasure out of holding a book in my hands um do you have a favorite literary character of antiquity i would say probably my favorite literary character would be the the young unnamed second wife in rebecca daphne demurio's rebecca Hmm. she never gets a name um and demurio said it was because she just couldn't come up with a name that she really liked so (laughs) i just i love that character and actually i really like rebecca herself too um i i think that that book has always been an inspiration for me. It's a, a you know I would classify it as a well written mystery with some very fleshed out characters, and I'd say those those two Mrs. De Winters definitely fall into that category. Yeah. All right. If you could choose any author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite spots, who would you take, and where would you take them? <laughs> I would take Wallace Stegner, who is my all-time favorite author. I love Angle of Repose. That's my probably my top favorite novel of all yeah. time. Um, and, you know, if you live in the West and you write about the West, even in any small part, he's, I think he's an inspiration for anybody. Um, I, You know, I would take him out for some sushi. I'd sushi done, but, man, I, I don't know if he'd be a sushi type. So. <laughs> but I don't know. If, if he'd go for that, I would do that. If he didn't, we'd, you know, have to go to some little hip vegetarian place somewhere or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what he would like. I'd do whatever he wanted. So. <laughs> sushi Den is probably not a bad <laughs> a bad pick at all. One of the best sushi places around. Um, and, so, and, and, it's, and it's where Kitty had her bookstore. So. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, before we sign off with some advice to your fellow scribes, do you have any weird collectibles? Do you? I know as a uh, designer, you probably have some interest and um, some very specific tastes. Um, but do you have, do you collect any, uh, vintage, uh, typewriters or anything of that sort? I, I would, I do collect books that are signed by the author. Um, I, I love sharing books and I'm happy to pass on any books that have come my way to friends or family, but only my unsigned editions. I, I kind of hoard my signed copies of books. And I think that it's partly representative of getting involved in the writer community because so many of those signed copies represent times that I've connected with other writers and we've, you know, we've talked about writing and I've gone to the readings and I've been excited for the further book coming out. And so it's just a connection piece. And so I, I kind of hang on to those and I'll let people borrow those. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. So, uh, any advice to your, to your fellow writers on just how to keep going, how to, how to keep the ink flowing. Um, that kind of goes back to what I was just saying about community. And I, I think it's important to find a community of writers and connect with them on a regular basis. And and that can be in person. It can be online. It could be both. Um, I don't think that means that your community needs to read every word as you write it. As, a, as you probably can tell from the way that I write or how I've described it, I don't share my early drafts with anybody. I, I pretty much go with my own gut. I've been in writers groups, but not in a long time. And that's kind of why, because I found that 
the support is nice, but I spent too much time worrying about what other people thought. So I don't do that anymore, but I do have some other writers that I get together with regularly. And we just talk about process and being in the trenches and what's going on with our writing. And it's just that knowing that you're not alone makes it much easier, I think, to keep going. So I think it's really, really important to find that, find that community wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. Author Cynthia Swanson. Thank you so much for coming on here to do this. The book, uh, her second novel, the, the glass forest, a gripping literary suspense novel set in the sixties listeners. You can find it, um, uh, as the, as of the publishing of this episode, um, will be available out there. It's gotten some really nice blurbs. Um, publishers weekly had um, some nice things to say about it. Intoxicating slow burn that builds to a conclusion rife with shocking reveals. I got sucked right into it. And I was going to ask you just about the bookseller, like wh- where the idea for that came from. Um, you were probably inspired by, by s- some Denver landmarks, obviously, but, but where did the, the kind of the psychological piece come into these kind of overlapping time you know it's kind of like a obviously a mystery and a thriller but how did where did that idea come from just out of curiosity so it actually came out of a a personal moment and it was just a very very small moment where I just for a few seconds began to doubt that I belonged in my own life like it just Hmm. didn't seem right and when I started writing the bookseller I had I'd taken a long hiatus from writing fiction because my kids were little and I knew it would come back at the right time when the right story came to me and I was sort of waiting. Maybe there's your muse. I was waiting and nothing had come. And then I just had that idea one day and I thought, well, that would be really interesting. What about a character who just didn't believe that, you know, didn't really begin to doubt that she belonged in this life of hers. And I thought, okay, that's a good idea. But what would make somebody do that? There has to be a psychological reason behind that. And that was the start of it. And that was the seed. That's where that idea came from. Uh, Yeah. Well, the bookseller is, fantastic book in of its own right. And, uh, I understand it was optioned, uh, for the big screen. Any news on, uh, a, uh, a film version of that? Or are we still waiting to hear? We are just waiting. That is such a waiting game. And, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, we'll see what happens. It's been optioned by Julia Roberts production company and they have their financing in place. They just hired a screenwriter. So that was another big step that they needed to do. And that's oh, happened. Cool. So, as far as we know, it's still moving forward. But my my agent gave me the very wise advice that until you you know are standing there seeing it up on the marquee, anything can happen. So I just kind of put it out of my mind and keep writing other books because there's nothing I can do about it. So That's it right. would be great though. So I hope it happens. Yeah, yeah. Hollywood is definitely a waiting game for sure. Um, well, we hope to see that one on the big screen, and and we'll look forward to obviously uh, your next. And congrats on the the uh, great press that's coming out on the glass forest listeners can find that I'll link to all this great stuff, your website, uh, Cynthia Swanson, author.com. And, uh, anything else you want to, uh, mention before we sign off here? Just want to thank readers. Thank everybody for being readers and enjoying books and supporting authors. If you do support authors and whether you're a reader or writer, but please support authors. And the best thing you can do is go write reviews. If it's free, it doesn't cost you anything, but it helps tremendously. So, you know, anybody who's reader or writer, I really do appreciate that. And so do all my other fellow authors. A great reminder there. Thank you so much for coming on here, Cynthia. And we wish you the best of luck. Please come back again. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks, Kelton. Thanks so much for joining me on another tour of the writer's process. 
If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Thank you.